Hello and welcome in to episode 13 of the Orlando Drummer Podcast. Hope you guys are doing great on this Monday morning. We don't record this on Monday mornings, by the way. You will not find me out here talking about drums at 8 a.m. on uh, on Monday morning. On a Monday. <laughs> yeah, what's today? Friday. It's a beautiful Friday. So, hope you guys are uh, doing well on Monday. How you doing, Chris? Oh, uh, tropical. I feel like a dad. You are doing very tropical. Oh, yeah. Dad vibes strong today. Yeah. <laughs> Disclaimer, I'm not a dad. I haven't heard that card, but... I'm not a, yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Broke out the resort shirt today. Hey, so. man. Nothing wrong with that. A little tropical vibes in this pitch black oh, yeah. studio, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it is very bleak in here some days. Gotta yeah, add. it's it's weird, man. It's funny. I've told the story before, but the old... In the old studio, uh, it was black walls with these same, you know, five panels that I have on the back here. Um... And it was the same drum set with the same cymbals and the same cameras and the same lenses and the same lighting setup. Like, I mimicked a whole lot of stuff between the old studio and this new one, even though this new one is much more soundproof and twice the size. Mm -hmm. But um, it was funny because when I posted the first video from this new studio, almost nobody noticed, which made perfect sense because it looked exactly the same on camera. And it was like the most anticlimactic moment for me where I'm like, oh, okay, so... uh, you know, cost me five figures and three months of my time building. And then it was just sort of like, huh, your studio looks a little different, I guess. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, it looks it looks exactly the same, doesn't it's, it? <laughs> it's improved so much. I know. Yeah, it, it really has this dramatic difference from my experience, but not from yours. It's just a black room is what it looks like. So Bigger. More room for activity. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so last week I said that... One of the loops reminded me of a City in Color song. Uh, okay. You asked me yeah, what yeah. you asked me what song that was. I said I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't prepared. Uh, the song was Difficult Love. Which Difficult is, Love, yeah, which and is, that was Conquest. Was the loop last week? Conquest, Ambient V1 Conquest was. That All right. Loop. Well, hopefully you don't get a suit so. this week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dallas, please don't sue us. Uh, this week, the loop of the week is R&B Volume Two. Loop five. Okay. For an unknown reason. Won't tell you. Oh, okay. Army volume two. Man, that pack, it, it did really well because what was that one triplet drum lesson? The coolest, gr- cool, coolest groove on YouTube. Oh, coolest one. groove on YouTube. That's what it was called. Yeah, yeah. I paired one of the tracks from that that uh, loop pack, R&B volume two, with that particular groove. And that lesson got a lot of views on it, and so it was cool because you can you can see these funnels happen on the back end, right? Where when a, a YouTube lesson does really well and the loop is in there, you see the streams bump up on the uh, on the actual loop pack. So, yeah, that was that was a really cool one for sure. A lot of fun too. Let's uh, let's let them hear it. Here we go. This is Loop Five of uh, R&B Volume Two. Yep. Cool. Loop Five. Check it out.
Yeah, man, those are uh, those are a lot of fun for sure. They were a lot of fun to produce too. I went over to Joe's for for a handful of those and helped him uh, helped him write those out. Fun little, almost like. I don't know, R&B, the way those are written, too, it almost has, like, a Boys to Men, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, like, late 90s, early 2000s kind of <laughs> R&B vibe. Like, something where, like, there's chimes and the rim knocks and, like, there's a whole vibe to it. little flutes and stuff. Flutes. Flutes is another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are. I know exactly what you're talking about. There's those little those little flute riffs in there. Yeah. It's fun music to play, man. I, I'll put on music like that sometimes to warm up or jam. Um, so yeah, they're, they're a ton of fun. Definitely check them out. And of course, remember, you can uh, stream every single loop in the library. You can buy them individually if you want to, but you can also use the ODTV um, mobile apps for iOS and Android. You can download all of the loops, pl- uh, play them back offline without internet. You can jam the entire library um, that is part of a membership to OrlandoDrummer.com. And of course, it comes with 160 hours of lesson content, audio, video, masterclasses, yoga for drummers, interviews with pro drummers we got all sorts of weird stuff happening out here check it out free seven day trial in the description the code is odpc save you 25 percent on your first two months and there's our uh there's our loan sponsor one and only cool <laughs> yeah we'll never have another sponsor on the podcast that's it man easy cool all right well we'll start with one of my favorite segments oh yeah it's player puzzle player puzzle out it's here a, puzzling it's a good one this week I think with so many drummers out there, it's hard to tell the difference, but some stand out so well that they're absolutely recognizable. In Player Puzzle, we'll provide three hints to see if Adam can guess who's playing. Let's see if we can stump him today. Never, never. What's our uh, What's our first audio file here? Player Puzzle number one? Our first audio file is labeled Dayman. Dayman, any sunny fans out there? <laughs> that is the jam. <laughs> All right, here we go. Hit number one. Some aggressive Latin. Man, it's tough because it is, it's... I mean, it's Latin, so I'm going through in my head like of, of different Latin drummers, but also that was very aggressive, like very loud, not the normal dynamic level of um, of a lot of Latin players. Uh, I do have one guess in mind, but we're gonna need a lot. We're gonna need a lot more. What's our uh, What's our next hint here? Is that this photo? Mm, well, we can do a little little quote okay. from this drummer. Oh, okay, that's right. We got our. Uh, Little fun fact. Little fun fact. Wouldn't it a fun fact, but is a quote today. If you are trying to discover your own style, it's best for it not to be contrived. Because nobody wants to watch somebody pretend to be someone else. So, if you are trying to pull from yourself, I think you have to pull from your own interests. And if those lay outside of your field, then you just have to find a way to integrate it. I love that for sure. We've talked about that on this podcast before mm-hmm. too, right? About outside how outside influences, outside influences. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And oftentimes that means not the drum industry, which it sounds like this drummer is sort of hinting around. But I really, really, I like that. I like that. I don't mm-hmm. think enough people express that. Uh, and actually, the closing message of this podcast is somewhere in in that ballpark of like the the individualistic nature of playing music and how to develop your own style. We'll leave that aside for now. We'll, we'll circle back to that one. Uh, but I, li- I like that quote and wholeheartedly agree. Absolutely. Um, though, 
it only tells me that I like this person, but not <laughs> not, so, not so much who they might be. I thought um, you might know the way that this person speaks and is articulate in their speaking. It's pretty articulate, yeah. Possibly hmm. able to kind of grab from that. The, yeah. and the kit photo is going to seal it, man. It's always like my downfall with this segment. Okay. So. Let's see. Let's pop up when our kit photo here, also labeled Dayman. Yes. Ooh, Minel. Okay, so that that is tricky. Do we have a snare brand? It's a very weird snare. Huh. It's like a wooden snare, wooden hoop, but big. Looks like a 15-inch wooden snare. And then the Toms have T-shirts over them. Man, I almost, oh, yeah, my one, my one guess, the good guess is definitely not right. I'm also seeing Vader. That throws me off. I feel like I can't name a ton of Vader artists off the top of my head. Hmm. Mm. Remo, Minel, drum set's a mystery. It's covered up by t-shirts. <laughs> huh. I think I'm, I think I'm pretty well stumped. I really don't know. I don't have a guess. I don't have a guess for this You got to guess. That's the, that's, that's the thing. Oh, is man. If you want to give yourself a fair chance, you have to guess. Shooting in the dark. Let's see. Oh, let me do audio one more time. One more time, because right. that was a confusing one. All right. Let's play it one more time. Man, that doesn't help. That doesn't help. Yeah, I do not have a guest. No kidding. I don't. I don't have one. <laughs> I think we stumped him, ladies and gentlemen. You stumped me. The drummer today, the first drummer, we'll have another one that might stomp you. Eric and Proda. Eric and Proda, yep. really? Yep. Huh. Man, you picked such a tricky audio clip. Mm -hmm. the, the aggression was very obvious, but I've never heard. Yeah, I really can't think of any examples that I've heard of him playing Latin before. Yeah, which was very lucky that I found that clip it was in a, a, a Remo art beat like promotional video. Okay. Where he did a little solo, and that was the only section of that solo that I was like, this, this <laughs> might sound work. Like him at all. <laughs> this might work. So yeah, and then that quote was pulled from. Um, Gotcha. The same video as well. And we've referenced him in that conversation. He's one of the guys who talks about that a lot, mm -hmm. about whether it's basketball or skateboarding or any other type of yeah. field, right? That's yeah. where he draws a lot of his, his influences. Or yeah. art, which is how he kind of got that deal with Remo, is he did that whole art beat sure. collection, and it sure. was his art, and yeah. Yeah, well, absolutely. Know. My favorite example, or rather a discussion him and I have had before, is he does, um, what does he call it, like... ADD drumming video, something Attention along. Attention deficit drumming. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And the idea was, you know, he, he would watch skate videos. I grew up skateboarding as well, watch skate videos. And what they do is they take just the best parts and they clip them all together really quickly. And it makes it way more watchable because if you just go to like, I don't know, where pro skateboarders are skateboarding, it's a whole lot of sitting around or missed attempts at doing a trick. It's like, it's a lot of downtime. It's not entertaining. You don't really want to see that. And so he took this concept from the skateboarding industry that you would take only the best cuts, edit them down, and then post that as sort of like a, a fast-paced compilation video. He brought that into the drum industry. It's just a really easy example of like, this is the kind of thing you can do when you have that conversation about mixing your influences and bringing um, bringing other elements from other industries into the drum industry, and I think cool thing happens, cool things happen when you do that. 
Though I am curious, looking at this picture, what is that snare? Is it an a Tama I think S- it's like, SLP? I think it might be like an old Tama an snare. An older Tama. Or maybe just like a weird PDP snare. It was a picture taken from his Instagram when he was recording a Night Versus album from oh, forever okay. ago. So the hats are weird. Like the high hats are weird in that picture. And I don't know what the towels are Sam? for. I mean, obviously for muting, but yeah. I don't know what Night Versus song it was a part of. Or sure, sure. that even made the cut. Yeah, I don't know. Well, shout out Eric. Shout out Night Versus, Nick DePiro, Riley, that whole crew. They've stayed at our house before. Good friends, good people. And uh, hell yeah, that was a good one. I can't believe you got me on him, too. He's one that I feel like I normally could guess, too. But that was uh, that trick was, or the clip was so tricky. That was a good one, man. Yeah. All right, cool. Round two. Round two. Hoping this for is... a knockout punch with this one. Okay. Go ahead and click on <laughs> Handkerchief. Handkerchief. Here we go. So I do, I do have a guess based off of that one, but it's weird because that actually was Eric and Proda-ish, ish, right? You know, in the sort of that heavy-ish style. So I feel like we're in the ballpark. Mm, can I do the same drummer twice? Uh, nobody, ever, no. nobody ever said the rules, did they? <laughs> Surprise, it's Benny Grab again. Um. <laughs> I could do that. I could do that. Let's see. So, huh. I do have a guess for anybody playing along at home. I'll say that this guy is Australian in his uh, ethnicity. Is it an ethnicity? I don't know. <laughs> country, country of origin. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there are indigenous Australians. I don't know if that's what this guy is. Anyway, he's from Australia. So your guess is that he's from Australia. That's my guess right now. Okay. But I won't All say right. his name. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who has a, a better guess. We'll see. I don't know. What's our what's our next hint here? Well, he's from Clearwater Beach, Florida. Oh, okay, perfect. So. <laughs> and, and he joined his first band at 14 years old. Okay, from Florida. Uh huh. How far yeah. is Clearwater from here? Uh, hour and a half. Yeah, not that far. Yeah. Outside mm. of Tampa. Huh. So maybe maybe think what's huge in Clearwater, Florida. Clearwater, Florida has a big metal scene. Ooh. The further down south you go, you definitely get more metalish. There's a lot of uh, who's from here. Trivium is from Orlando. Really? Trivium is from here. Yeah. Um, or uh, Under Oath. Under Oath was from Tampa. If oh, I'm shit. not mistaken. Yeah. A whole bunch of like oh. obscure metal comes out of Florida. It's like weirdly a metal state in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, this is me helping you, by the way, <laughs> because I've, I've never done it, but this is me helping you. Okay. So Clearwater. Florida, and it's metal. Grew, probably grew up playing metal. Mm, so it's not my original guess. Definitely not Australia. Let's go hint three. Let's let's try it out. That's that kit photo, man. Go ahead and click on that kit photo. Kit photo. Ooh, what is this? Whoa. What is this drum set? So the first thing that caught my eye was this weird... Okay, so the floor tom has like single lugs with tension rods that are like eight inches long coming out either side of the lug. Yeah, that's a big tom. That's such a weird way to make a drum, right? That's like my toms. 
They're like that? Yeah. How long are the tension rods? They're that long? Oh, yeah. They're like 11 inches long. They're huge. Weird. I guess there's no real downside to doing that. No. Yeah, like what's the problem with a long tension rod? It's not that big of a deal. It's just the lug type it would is centered for i don't know for yeah. sound or something like that well less contact is the reason you would do that right less holes drilled in the shell yeah, yeah yeah less stuff stuff on it yeah it's just it's an interesting look for sure that finish on this kit is throwing me off i mean i want to say gretch ludwig somewhere around there Looks they look a little old um and then we have minel but man this is such a crazy simple setup not only is it very simple it's also very spread out it's wide like big gaps between the hi-hats and the snare and even the snare and the floor tom like big gaps the crashes are very high and open and spread out so that gives me like strong rock vibes that this is like very much a rock drummer mm-hmm. uh, and that's a fairly big theater looks like there so a big band um, I see a DW thrown, but the kit doesn't seem to be a DW. Let's play this audio clip one more time. I'm circling back. Let's see. So I have a guess that I don't think is right, but I think it's the closest I'm going to come to. Um, given that style, minel, though this are, oh, I don't know what date the photo was taken. That makes it even trickier And Florida. I'm, okay, I'm going to toss a guess out there. I don't think it's right, but it's, I think it's the closest I'm going to get to it. I'll say Aaron Gillespie. It is Aaron Gillespie. Is it really? Yes, it is. No All way. Right. I can't believe I got that. So the the... The metal scene hint was totally what did that for you. As soon as Man, you said Underwood, I, I was like, he's going to get it. I didn't know they were from Clearwater specifically. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah, yeah, well, at least he's from Clearwater. I don't know if the band is collectively from Clearwater. Maybe Tampa area. Tampa area, you know, sure, sure. Biggest metal scene in the country uh, over there. Um, and that was a good one. I can't believe I got that right. I was not that confident. Yeah, he... Uh, that that audio clip was from a Memphis drum shop video like okay. 11 years ago. Wow. Where he's just like thrashing. Uh, the kit photo was from before he was a Zildjian artist. Gotcha. He, I was going to say, I know he doesn't play Minel anymore, but he was. He was a Minel artist for a long time. Fun fact, he was the, the first time I ever saw Minel cymbals was in... Either oh yeah, it was it was in 06. I went to Warp Tour. I was 15, 16 years old. Like mom dropped me off at Warp Tour kind of thing. Um, <laughs> careful doing that one, parents. <laughs> Not um, anymore. No yeah, longer a yeah. thing. Yeah, right. Uh, but I went there and and we were like right up against the gate, just getting smashed by a crowd of sweaty teenagers. Oh yeah. And oh, it was it was awesome. And uh, I remember seeing the like weird M on his symbols. Yeah. And it was like, huh, I don't know what that is. I had yeah. never heard of it before. So I, I thought it was the M&M logo. Yeah, I thought it, I yeah. thought it was like a, I don't know what I thought it was actually. I was just confused. Like, huh, that's not a giant Z. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not a Zildjian symbol. Yeah. That looks weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was a super OG Minel artist from um, yeah. long before Minel had 
I mean, it might have been around a very long time, yeah. uh, but they weren't like a staple in metal or by, by any means at, at that particular point in time. But um, you, you know what got me in the in the audio clip was the the dotted eighth notes on the kick drum. Yeah, that's a thing he's been doing for like fifteen or twenty yeah. years. So that's yeah, that Tampa metal and the spacing of the kit kind of whew, that was a rough one that was a rough one almost didn't get that yeah, yeah. that cool. was a great one man that was killer all right well i didn't stop you on that one but one for two one for two and i think that's two stumps overall two stumps total so royster and then eric and proda and I'm, <laughs> yeah the royster one he's such a chameleon like you could probably stump me again with him mm-hmm. but eric that was a that was a tall order i feel like i would have would have been able to uh have gotten him that was a good one though man that was well, a good one. well lots, played yeah there's lots of other drummers that i'm gonna hopefully stump you on they'll come soon time will tell time will tell <laughs> cool that'll finish off player puzzle all right that'll move us on into accent or ghost oh yeah ghost them people up yes this is a segment where we get adam's view on many aspects of the drum industry not just a few but very many and at the end we'll get an approval an accent or a disapproval a ghost one of these days, I'm just going to ghost this whole segment and not even show up to the podcast. There's your answer. Ghosted. We, Ghosted. We, we, I don't think anybody <laughs> would be interested in watching a podcast that's just me. Because it's just me playing player puzzle to myself the whole time. So, what do you think about people playing a double kick with two kick drums rather than just a double pedal? With two actual kick drums? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, it... I think there's the aesthetic part of it, first of all. I think it does look cool in an old-school metal way, right? I mean, if you, if you mm-hmm. went to see the right band, I would love to see two kick drums on stage. Mm. But yeah, would we go see that band? I don't well, know. Well, no, I haven't thought about that, too. Okay. Because, like, I, Matt Griner, I know, did this. He played with two he kicks? still does it. Really? Where one of them is a dummy. It's not really used. Oh. He just has a double kick pedal and it's just for show. Yeah. Glenn Sobel does the same thing yeah. where he's got an internally mic'd kick drum and then the other one is just a dummy. It's a dummy kick. So, man, that's a lot of, yeah, that's a lot of space for nothing. That's full so aesthetics. S- well, and you know, what's funny is guitar players actually are the most guilty of, of that. Oh, um, yeah. They'll do like a, <laughs> a wall of amplifiers yeah it's just one with a microphone yeah. at the bottom and all the rest of them are empty they're like cardboard boxes like spray painted black yeah i i don't mind that necessarily with drums though it's a little more of like like the real estate that you have to work with is is pretty important so i can't imagine just putting a second kick drum that i'm not actually using i think I, I do wonder, I've never ran a test like this, but I do wonder in a studio environment, if you were to have a double bass pedal and you recorded like, let's say a metal track, obviously, and then you had the same setup, except it wasn't a double pedal, but it was two separate kick drums. Is there any type of sonic difference? Is there any reason within the domain of audio that would make you want to do that? I would think, one, you're not going to stereo pan them. You're not going to do like one kick drum to the left and one to the right, right? That that seems like a bad idea for mixing. Like double bass would be like, you know, like panned left and right. That seems like wobbly in a very uncomfortable way. You would want your kick very centered. So you wouldn't do that. I, I guess you, you could also run the risk if you had two separate bass drums in a recording environment that if they're not mic'd exactly the same, then you have two different bass drum sounds, which is a big problem, right? They have to sound exactly the same. Huh. I think it might be that, like, if you have one kick with a double kick pedal, that it can sound kind of mushy and not as not as separated. 
kind of I, like strokes with sticks. Like I, it, you see, and I, yeah, I, I had that thought too initially, but then I, like that is not how we think about toms. Like you wouldn't say that about toms, though. Admittedly, like a giant floor tom with really quick single strokes, it it, it does get muddy, right? You can't hear all that articulation. But kick drums have a bit more slap to them than a floor tom does, right? It, yeah, maybe it depends on the kick drum sound. If you have a super vintage kick drum sound, but then you're not playing double bass, right? Like the articulation comes in when you start speeding up and playing double bass, right? Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm going to ghost the double bass drum thing, man. I really just can't think of an example where it's like in your favor to do that unless you're just super into the aesthetics, in which case, you know... Rock out, I guess, you know, it doesn't bother me. But yeah, for me personally, I think for a huge majority of people, no, you do not need two bass drums. I'm a ghost to that one. <laughs> All right, cool. For show only. Show only. Next up, little little photo. Little photo. Think of, uh... <laughs> That's a real motorcycle, right? I mean, I think. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's they, on a stand. They also, oh, because it's a trike, first of all. Not a real motorcycle. It's a yeah. trike. There, <laughs> there, <laughs> there's a dude in Florida. I've seen him, and he has one of these set up. Of no. course, a guy in Florida would be doing something yeah, like this. Florida yeah, Florida, man. It's no kidding. It is some, it, I, I want to say it's something like a Can-Am Spider, which is like a trike that's reversed, two wheels in the front and one in the back. Mm. It's It looks kind of like that. It might be like a homemade, I don't know if it's actually the Can-Am Spider, but it's like a trike sort of deal with a drum setup on it. And I don't know, man. I mean, I'm glad we have people in the world that are willing <laughs> that are willing to do something like this. But I also I want to meet them because I'm I'm in part fascinated with like how far somebody took this crazy obscure idea to marry together a drum set and motorcycles. Like you must love both of these things, it's like right? If, it's like if a, a guitarist was like, "I also fly planes, and my plane is a giant guitar." Yeah, or <laughs> that reminds me of um, is it Mad Max, the flaming yeah, guitar yeah. on the like war vehicle thing? <laughs> yeah, it reminds me kind of kind of of that. It's funny, man. I think there might be something here where if you talk to the person that had this idea, built it, and designed it, you know, there's something like I don't know, maybe rebellious about it. Where motorcycles are like very free, independent, all-American rebel kind of vibe. And then that's sort of matched against like, I don't know, being a drummer, right? And that it's the most aggressive sort of like, I don't know, barbaric instrument in a way. Some sort of connection there to those two things. Man, It I just feel like this is such a rare thing to see or for somebody to do. And so difficult that would involve metal fabrication, a whole lot of like engineering and yeah. thought and all that stuff. That the guy that did this is probably pretty cool. He's probably a weird, a weird <laughs> or, guy. Or insane. Or insane. <laughs> I'll ride that line with him. Yeah, I'm interested. I'm interested. Yeah, I think if this became popular, then no. Like, what are we doing? This is so ridiculous. But there's probably like five dudes in the whole country that have ever done anything like yeah. this. Like a motorcycle with a drum set on it. So I'll give it the accent. I'll give it the accent. That's some Florida weirdness for you. The funnier thing is it's a Yamaha kit mm. yamaha also makes motorcycles how funny is that wow if yamaha wants to make a motorcycle drum set yeah yeah yamaha is one dope. of the just one of those companies man it's it's hard to understand sometimes like okay so so four wheelers yeah and keyboards and keyboards <laughs> and drum sets and sixty thousand dollar pianos yeah. like what a it's like mitsubishi like yeah. did you want 
a car or a mini split air conditioning unit <laughs> or a flat screen TV. We got you covered. <laughs> like it's, it's interesting, right? Oh, but yeah, man. that is funny with Yamaha. It's a Yamaha kit. I don't be willing to bet that's a Yamaha bike. You can't really tell from the photo. No, but oh, yeah. Well. Cool. That's a weird one. I'll give it the accent. Why not, man? Why not? Come all on right. down to Florida. You'll see all sorts of stuff like yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next up is, uh, are we going to accent or ghost drumming gloves? Drumming gloves. So I think for a vast majority of people, that's going to be a ghost. No, you don't need drumming gloves. I think the people that do need them are those who have serious problems with sweaty palms. And that's a real thing. Some people have, mm -hmm. like, you were shaking somebody's hand, and it's just like, dude, did you, like, just wash your hand? Yeah, like, I, there I, are people I, like that, right? Yeah, I got a buddy who, like, that's the first thing when I met him. He's like, sorry, I have really sweaty palms. Right? Some people, they'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I have I have a certain level of sympathy for that. I, I, yeah. don't, I don't know what that's like. I really yeah, don't. Yeah, of course. But I, I could imagine that that's a serious problem. I mean, imagine if your hands were just wet all the time while playing <laughs> drums. Like maybe Oof. maybe gloves is the right move. So if there's any gloved drummers out there, you know, I guess tell us why exactly you you play them. If it's sweaty palms, hey man, I, I hear you. That's a that's a lame problem to have. I I think I worry that that it is one of those things that's in that gimmicky wheelhouse where it's just another thing to sell you, you know? And it only takes a handful of metal drummers wearing them for a whole bunch of their fans to say like, I need that too. And the answer is probably that no, you don't. For a lot of them, it's probably the case. Um, and there is one company, I'm not trying to pick on them, but a head, a head drumstick mm -hmm. company. You know, they've definitely done that. And, and you know, I'm not knocking them for attempting to make a different type of drumstick. Some people might, I've owned them before, it weren't for me. But they definitely have these, this like this rabbit hole of drumsticks and gloves and attachments and etc. They went down this wormhole, and I feel sometimes like, man, they, I don't know who really needs this. I don't really. I've never met somebody that's like, bro, I have to have my gloves or I can't play. Like, do you really? Like, I don't. I've never met that person. Maybe I don't know. If I went to a show and the dude was wearing gloves, I'd be like, you better be good. Because you better be you real look, good before you look you like be a nerd. <laughs> That's a good point. You better be really good. Because if you suck, what are the gloves for? What are they providing for you? Yeah. It just feels like in that territory of like you were just turned into a consumer, you know, and just mm -hmm. told that you needed to have a thing and then you got it. And then, but it, I don't know. Every time I like critically think about this, I'm like, really, who needs the gloves? I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, if anybody in the, in the comments um, can tell us, you know, is there a gloved drummer? Are you a gloved drummer? Can you send us, uh, send us some information to help us understand why people wear gloves with drumming, I don't know. I've never met. I've never met anybody that wears them ever. Yeah, not, I'd love to hear. Once. I'd love to hear opinions about it because yeah. I really don't know anything about it. I've never used them. Yeah, but. me neither. I'm guessing sweaty palms. That's my guess. But for the most part, you know, excluding the the sweaty palm drummers, that's a ghost for me on the gloves. All right. So, what was that? Three ghosts. Three ghosts. Ghosts and everybody. I'm saying I'm just not going to show up one of these days. Ghost and everybody. All right. Cool. <laughs> Episode 14 with just me. It's just Chris. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. That'll end out. Accent or ghost. Cool, man. Move on to sleeper spotlight. Sleeper spotlight. We review sleepers. Yes, we sir. find these sleepers everywhere. I scour the internet, and I find drummers that y'all are sleeping on. And then we'll get Adam's opinions, impressions, and constructive criticism, if any. First up, Andrew Warren. Andrew Warren. I recognize that name, I believe. Mm. Let's uh let's see here. Mm. First clip from Brother Andrew. 
Those are cool little hot rods with the mallets on the end. What is that little silver thing down in the bottom right? What is that little thing? Sounds cool. Uh, some little effects. Yeah, it's like little effects. Found Joker. object, little crasher thing. Oh, he's got another one in the center of the kit, too. Very, very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, some of those, it's like it's hit or miss with, with those little gadgets, but that almost sounded really, really cool. I like, um, I don't know, I liked the hot rod approach to it, too. I thought that sounded pretty good. It's always weird. Hot rods are, are just interesting because they, like, soften the entire the entire performance in a weird way. Like, how aggressive are you going to be with hot rods? But I thought that was cool, really cool. I'm also wondering, did he make the loop? Uh, it's from somebody else. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, I like um, I like the symbol setup, too. We should have heard him more, probably will, in the next clip. But I like the symbol setup, too. We've got classic custom darks, which I've recorded some demos for those. Man, surprisingly cool sounding symbols like really really cool sounding uh, especially for the price um and then it looks like an 18 or 19 extra dry thin crash up on the top left that's my jam i've been playing that crash in that position for a very long time although this was awesome man really really cool well written too everything sounded in the appropriate place like what ought to be played there is what he played so yeah that was really cool man super super clean let's get a little more happening here from brother andrew in this next clip Hey, I recognize that loop. Tricky. <laughs> that ride sounds good, man. Sounded sick, man. Good mix, too. The kit feels really warm and balanced. What is the snare that he's playing? It's, um, I want to say like it's a minor, like Latin percussion type snare. A little, mm, yeah, uh, it looks like it. At least the it? head makes it look that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. It sounds good. It's got a nice crack to it. He's got a little accessory on there. What is this thing in the center? I've seen this so much and I don't know what it's it like is. It's like a ribbon crasher, I think is the name of it. Ribbon crasher. I, yeah, I don't know what the name of, of it is, but it looks, it looks dope. I've seen it in a ton of videos before. Yeah, I think R. David R. maybe did like one video where he made one i bet he did yeah yeah man that was awesome yeah super super clean love the track by the way really really cool setting man dude awesome playing super super clean i think um well it it, it just depends on on like who andrew is as a drummer right and what he wants to say i love hearing the more exploratory playing where it's sort of like venture out a little bit and see what can be done over the track but if we're talking in the domain of like what is tasteful and appropriate that's exactly what this was right it was very clean uh very well put together for sure clean fills clean mix clean all around man i thought it sounded great I also love that ride symbol man that thing records beautifully for especially for the price man they're they're such cool symbols 
yeah that was awesome from andrew thanks brother really really cool check him out follow him cool thank you andrew warren underscore drums moving on to daniel vega daniel vega first clip from daniel what you got brother Man, playing uh interesting clip. Playing very high and, and powerful. I feel like he's doing that on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. That it's not just practicing the exercise. It's also practicing the stick height, the velocity, the dynamic level, things like that, which is really cool. It's it's a smart, it's a smart way to do that, you know? You can you can actively increase your power by thinking about practice that way that mm-hmm. it's not just the exercise or the speed of the exercise sometimes it is like what are you intending for this to sound like so i don't know we watched that one more time but it sure seemed like he's intentionally putting a lot of stick height in there mm-hmm. which is a great thing to do yeah right he's like laying in on purpose Yeah, 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 it sure seems like that, right? Where he's really digging in on purpose. I like that a lot, man. It's a great, great way to practice for sure. You could have that same exercise at a quarter of the volume and you're working on something totally different at that point. Well, probably speed is what you do. You'd speed it up a little bit, but that was cool, man. Really, really cool. Cool to see somebody working on something that, um, I don't want to say abstract, but less common that you would see a clip like that. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the next one from Daniel. Oh, side note, first, before you play that. Okay. The first one was the first video on his Instagram. Okay. The second one is the most recent video on his Instagram. Okay. Two days ago. Oh, we're doing like a progress update type yeah. deal? Yeah. Ooh, okay. That so, makes this interesting. Yeah. Okay. So get ready for this. Let's check it out. I like that track a lot too. It sounded really, really cool. Do we know how long has passed between the first clip and the second one? I think like two years. Two years. Yeah. Interesting. That's cool. You know, I always love when people do that um, that level of like vulnerability, right? They show themselves, I don't want to say sucking, but kind of, you know, compared to the version of you two years from now, yeah. right? Like you always suck two years ago, right? Uh, but I really like when people do that sort of vulnerability. I, I think it, it, it works in your favor. People like watching that. They like going back and seeing where you came from and where you ended up. Um, I like this track a lot too. I like those hits. Really cool. Really musical. I love the um, the sound of the cymbals. I will say the overheads in this mix felt very hot. It was like like very very cymbally. Mm-hmm. So I would say I would say maybe in, in the mix just slightly bring down those overhead mics. It felt very cymbal dominant. But with that said, what I could hear with the toms did sound really really good for sure, man. Dude, this was super super clean playing and uh, I'm also quite partial to the blacked out studio vibe. I really like that. <laughs> I think that's uh it's cool. It makes your your setup more like ambiguous in a weird way. I don't know where he is. So if for some reason he was in like a dingy basement, you fool me. Like, I don't know. You know, I, yeah. I like I like that look, that aesthetic. So, man, that was really cool. Two clean players, man. Absolutely. How many followers does Daniel have? Uh, less than 10,000. Right. For sure. Actually, I think like less than 1,000. Man. Uh, well, hey, man. So go follow Daniel. That was awesome. Go Please follow him. Two good sleepers, brother. Cool. 
that'll end that out. All right. I'm going to do two sleepers an episode because if I did five, <laughs> we would just be on Instagram all day. <laughs> all right. We'll move on to Q&A, though. Q&A. Let's do it. Yeah. These questions, by the way, uh, if you would like to be featured on Q&A, come from everywhere. They come from Instagram, on the Instachops page. They come from YouTube, uh, in the comments, the forums of OrlandoDrummer.com. And you can also send questions directly to me at Chris at OrlandoDrummer.com. First question from BrianCam78. Okay. Seeing as you're going on to Spotify with this podcast, and already have at this point, mm-hmm. what are your views on how little artists make from streaming on Spotify as opposed to the billions the company is making from all of our art and hard work? Mm. Yeah. So, well, Chris, you and I have talked about this, this question leading up to this, and mm-hmm. I think we should preface the whole discussion by saying... It's complicated. It's it's very complicated. Very complicated, right? It's just a it's a it's a three hour podcast. Yeah, what it is could be, could be very yeah. well could be. Um, maybe we'll record it one day. I don't know, but I think you you pointed out earlier that it was very important. There's a very important distinction between art and business, and when the two marry, it gets messy. Very messy. Yeah. Very very messy. Yeah, and you know there is well there is one weird thing that has sort of happened and and. We've experienced this in, in, you know, in my own business, right? That the reality is people, as the internet gets faster, digital products become a lot easier to rent and it becomes less desirable to own them, right? That's just something that ends up, that ends up happening. It's sort of the result. Um, it's no, it's no like corporation's agenda against the artist. It's just sort of the reality of, of tech. And, you know, we experienced this, you know, for a very long time, I used to sell, Lesson packs. When we launched OrlandoDrummer.com as like an online lesson store, you know, we were selling individual lessons for like a dollar or two dollars, and then eventually packs for five and ten dollars. And the reality is that it just makes less and less sense to do that. Where now we do not sell digital products in that way. It's much more of like a, like you rent access to it along the lines of something like Netflix. And there's a reason why Netflix has just smashed everybody when it mm-hmm. comes to video streaming on demand. You know. People are are much happier to pay a lower price and get access to a larger amount of digital products, and they really kind of forfeit this idea that they would just need to own the, the stuff. Now, of course, that becomes complicated because now artists are getting paid for people accessing their content, but they're not actually buying it, right? So mm-hmm. I would say to like the artists in a band, you, you probably already know this, you know, selling your album is not where the money is going to come from. That's not how people are consuming your music anymore. And that's going to be increasingly the case. You know, so, yeah, I mean, streaming is uh, is where you're going to make a portion of your money. But I think a lot of people are probably rightfully upset that you're not going to make nearly as much as you were in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s yeah. from selling your music directly to the consumer. You know that, That's not how people are consuming it anymore. They don't even want to own it. They want to rent access to it. You know, it's it, very, very complicated. Yeah. Oh, incredibly complicated. There's, I mean, there's a giant can of worms we could open. Mm-hmm. We could talk about yeah, these lawsuits are these... that Spotify has been involved in. Yeah, and you really should Google some of this stuff because yeah. you've linked me up with some very interesting articles. That yeah, yeah, we'll link them down too in the in the YouTube description too. There's a yeah. couple that I wanted to just like bring up. We won't go. We won't dive into detail sure, sure. of them. Uh, there was a, an article back in 2018 uh, about a lawsuit, Wixen versus Spotify, 
There's a lawsuit for $1.6 billion. Pocket change, bro. Yeah, that explains like mechanical licenses and why they're not so important because they're from the age of player pianos. The Harry Fox Agency was an important agency to understand and be a part of if you're an artist. Mm -hmm. How it all happened, how that lawsuit happened too when Spotify was reporting a a net loss of $1.5 billion. So almost even the worth of the lawsuit. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Lawsuit settlement. Uh, there's another one, how late last year uh, they unveiled a new product called Discovery Mode, mm-hmm. which means artists can opt into a wider scope of discoverability by accepting lower royalties, but only on a per-stream basis, so they make they may make more money on that kind of deal. There's a, that the link to that article down below. Yeah, that's some sketchy territory yeah. there. We're flirting with pay-to-play. Right? Yeah, a payola, yeah, yeah, which is illegal. I'd read up on that. Yeah. Um, and the other one is earlier this year, they removed hundreds of thousands of tracks over alleged artificial stream violations. Basically, some artists may have been using third-party services to stream their content so that Spotify yeah. would pay them more. And then <laughs> Spotify said, you can't do that. And so that's why their music was removed, allegedly. Sure, um, sure. Some of those tracks have been brought back onto spotify there's a whole thing we yeah can talk about spotify we can, same with apple music has been guilty sure. of the same stuff sure uh it's not uh yeah solely up to spotify to do that so you can read up on that stuff to form a better opinion about it yeah but of course yeah needless to say it is complicated it is very mm-hmm. very complicated it's not anything we could cover in a few minutes necessarily but i would say to to the artist who finds themselves in in the territory of basically complaining that this is not getting, they're not making enough money off of their streams. I I would say, you know, there is an unfortunate reality to the world. And that is that the best, the best hand you can play is the one that you're holding, you know? And sometimes, you know, the the game isn't necessarily fair. I would say that's probably the case when it comes to, you know, making streaming money and and what what tech has done to the music industry. Yeah. Fair might, might not really apply, but Unless you're interested in truly changing the game, which would be going down like these legal wormholes and really understanding how complex of a problem this is. Also, while acknowledging, by the way, that Spotify is not a profitable company, right? So like playing that game of like corporate greed versus the artist is it's very tricky when when it's it's not that there's like an elite group of billionaires at the top of Spotify who are just like chuckling in a room with cigars like that's not necessarily how any of this works. Um, it could apply to certain we could find record labels over the years where that sort of that sort of um, comical setup is kind of the reality of it. But I don't really see Spotify in that way. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where where I do think you have to play the game as it is presented to you. And then another way I look at this is like this is how I have to approach YouTube. You know, the content that I want to make or rather the way that I would like to make money is not necessarily how it works. So I can try and change the rules of the game or I can play the game as it is presented to me and play the cards that I'm actually holding, right? So I would say that's that's sort of the way to look at it. So, you know, moving forward, if I was in a band now, if I was starting a musical project now, I would look at streaming revenue as a very small portion of my income. And that's just... That's just how the world works right now. You know, I'm hopeful that it would work a different way, but there's a lot of ways to make money in the music industry. And I think diversifying your 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 income and how your income or where it comes from, rather, I think that would be a really important thing to focus on as a young up and coming artist right now. Mm-hmm. And the the opposite of that would be to just 
point a finger at Spotify and go like, you're the reason that I don't make money off of my art. Yeah. Like it is so much more complicated than that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it, it might be like on the line of like victimhood. Like yes, Spotify certainly isn't paying you enough, but are you working hard enough to deserve higher pay? Sure. You know. Yeah, 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 that too. But again, yeah, the theme has to be that the marriage of business and art is just, it's ugly, man, it's ugly. And this is so ugly in like the, like, the art world, like actual, actual paintings and stuff like that. Like, you know, how weird and sketchy and obscure and strange that whole world is of yeah. like, like art auctions and like who pays what for what piece of art oh, and who yeah. made it and when. What a sketchy, weird world to get involved in. It's just the epitome of like how strange it is when you try to value art in this logistic sort of way and you apply all of these business principles to something that is much more like organic and artistic complicated complicated yeah no no solid answer on this question yeah really. there really can't be yeah. there can't be yeah but anyway it's a good question for sure and something that that we're going to put a little bit more thought into and maybe revisit it down the road but um it's interesting man it's interesting yeah yeah we could if you know somebody at spotify that's willing to lend some information to this subject yeah please. send them over yeah, yeah we'd, i'd be so keen on talking to them sure all right next question from adrian aldana okay Last week, in reference to episode 10, actually, this okay. question came a while ago, you talked about different brands of drums and alluded to not limiting yourself to one brand because everybody makes dope shit. True. And I couldn't agree more. <laughs> but what is your opinion on DW's tuning rods, the True Pitch and the True Pitch 50, compared to the standard 12 to 24? I know this is mm. most likely a proprietary idea, but why won't DW share this with other drum manufacturers? Huh. Well, they won't share it with... Well, so first of all, do you happen to know, know any, any details about what those rods, what the differences are? I think it's just um, possibly patented machining techniques in order to ensure hmm. a higher uh, TPI thread per inch on the tuning rods. So gotcha. So you get a much tighter, you can, you know, more fine fractional, tuning. Yeah, yeah. Based on the thread tuning. spacing, something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, why won't they share it with other people? Yeah. <laughs> because it's worth a ton of money. That's yeah. why, right? It's, it's leverage in business, right? If you figure out something that other people won't, you know, tossing, tossing that proprietary thing out into the world, I mean, I would imagine DW is interested on the grounds of licensing, licensing that technology to other companies uh, to put it on their drum sense, and then and and then DW would take a cut. That's probably the, how how they would be interested in something like that. They also might not be interested at all and say no. This is so valuable that in their eyes, it makes DW drum sets worth that much more money yeah. because it is that valuable of a technology. So, yeah, I mean that's that's certainly where DW is coming from. I would imagine that has to be the case. Now, I don't know enough about that specific piece of technology to like say how valuable it is or isn't, but it's gotta be a little bit more than just very close threads, right? Because I've definitely had drum sets that were, they tuned differently because mm -hmm. of um, what the threads were. The threads were like much finer. So basically, if one full rotation as you're tuning a drum, if that's the equivalent of an eighth of a rotation on another drum set, well, you have all that playroom in there, right? So you can really, really like perfectly tune in a drum. Um, you wouldn't want to take that so far where the threads are so tiny that it's like annoying to tune up your drum set. But yeah, when it comes to like any proprietary tech and why they would or wouldn't share it, 
yeah, I mean, that's that's just a straight up money thing is what that is. It's because they think it's super valuable and they want to hang on to it. And I don't blame them. I totally get it. So, yeah, who knows uh, who knows what industry this happens the most in? I would imagine in the guitar world, there's a lot of this stuff. In the, in the pedal world, when you get into circuitry, mm-hmm. somebody figures out a certain thing and then you wonder why they're the only one that has it. Yeah, there's reasons to hang on to that kind of tech. And it's normally because you think it's so valuable, it makes you more money. But yeah, I'll look up these, um, these DW lugs and what what dw thinks they're on to i'm not sure I'm i don't sure. know well i mean the question was more in 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 line with the fact of like brand loyalty and it's like well if this brand manufactures something that's so much better yeah than other companies then why would i leave this brand why yeah. would i not be loyal to this brand who's clearly creating top tier drums sure sure products? well i guess the answer would be you know, we're, we're just in such subjective territory, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it you don't have to is the answer. You could totally be a brand loyalist. And, and, you know, I look at like I'm a brand loyalist with Toyota. I will never own anything that is not a Toyota or a Lexus. I'm just a nerd for those kind of cars. That's the only thing I'm interested in. But that doesn't mean that like I can't have a conversation about like I know you're a Ford guy you like F150s a lot right mm-hmm. and Rangers and stuff you know I can I could drive one of those too you know it doesn't mean that I hate them it's just you know almost this like admission that I do have like a particular bias to a certain brand I think that's okay I think we're in such subjective territory that it really doesn't matter you're allowed to like what you you want to like you know um but again kind of how I mentioned in that the other podcast I do think it's important to to assess a company from not just the product itself, but also their business practices and mm-hmm. the opinions of um, their artists. How do they treat people? How you know what I mean? Like, there's so many factors that that would lead me to like or dislike a company, and one of them is the product. Mm-hmm. But then there's a lot of other factors as well. So I don't know. I think um, I want to look up this thing with DW and see if they're being like stingy with some tech or something like that. But it strikes me as like a leverage thing. They want to hold on to their tech because you know it's worth something. But yeah, interesting conversations. It's fun to revisit these these a lot. But um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, everybody makes dope shit. So maybe we should leave that one there. Cool. All <laughs> right. So to answer your question, Adrian, this same thing. Everybody makes dope shit. You That's all you in, need to know. You said it in your question. <laughs> but also it's of a subjective nature. Sure, it is. So. It is. Cool. All right. Well, that'll close out Q&A. All right. If you have questions for Adam or me or us or the podcast in general, you can submit these questions via Instagram on the InstaChops page, YouTube comments down below, the members area of OrlandoDrummer.com, or shoot me an email directly at Chris at OrlandoDrummer.com. Oh, yeah. And then, as always, I'll leave it to you to close the podcast. All right. All right. So speaking of uh, the the forums of orlandodrummer.com i had a really interesting post that came in a week or two ago um from brother rod kaler and he's a member of uh, orlandodrummer.com and he made a, a post in the forums here that that i really liked and you know i sat on this for a week or two before answering um but i loved this conversation i love the topic he hasn't written me back yet so uh so rod if, if you're seeing this uh, i'm excited to hear what you have to say um to my response which is a bit abstract here but um so i just wanted to read you his his sort of proposition here and then my answer to it and I thought this would be an awesome way to close out the podcast so um, if you want to um, to read this full thing I'll put the link in the description um, it is in the forums of orlandodrummer.com which you can actually read you know as a non-member you have to be a member to participate in the forum but uh but you can read and check out some of these posts here so this is from brother rod 
He says, Adam, I had a strong passion for drumming in my teens and have played off and on since, but life got in the way and the passion faded. And yet here I am. I avoided a beginner kit because I have the resources to buy better and I wouldn't describe myself as just starting out. As such, I have a DW design and a Gretsch Renown. I figured the quality and the sound would keep me interested as long as I was making progress. The former is a three piece, the latter a four. I'm not good enough to create music on anything larger just yet. Influences include Lombardo, a humble guy, Ehrlich, yep, that guy, Pert, I love how intentional he played, Lee, the man can groove and he attacks the kit like the guys he mimics the most, Bonham and Rudd, Copeland, the most entertaining personality in drums and reggae hi-hat master, McBrain, salt of the earth, genuine guy, great fills and galloping style, and the man who inspired it all and gets no love, Alex Van Halen. I'm not an actual fan of the band so much as I loved watching him play when I was 12 or so. As I matured, I started to appreciate Bonham, Steve Smith, Vinny, Omar, Coleman, Mullen, and the new crop of technicians, uh, which would include you. Talking about me. Thanks, brother. Uh, I went from loving speed and power to technique, clarity, articulation, and finesse. The problem I'm having is honing and thus focusing on what style suits me best. I don't think it's an impossible question. Pert could not have played in Zepp, and Bonham could not have played in Rush. The greatest arguments are a complete waste of time. You play what the music requires while understanding your limitations, as we are not all gifted equally. Music is emotive more than anything else, and as such, has got to come from within you. I'm not a J.S. Bach nor Buddy Rich, and won't pretend to be that gifted. There isn't a Shakespeare in all of us waiting to come out. For most, the book within us should stay exactly where it is. Ha ha. So how does one choose what suits him best? It's like martial arts. Guys usually specialize in one discipline while dabbling in others, like a kickboxer taking Greco-Roman wrestling classes. He may wrestle somewhat adequately, but do not stand in front of him. How do you know what suited you best? Is it worth the long years of honing skills that you may not possess the knack for doing? I know repetition is the cure, but it's helpful for me to choose one or two genres and then focus on those. Sorry for the book and cheers. All right, and here's my response to Brother Rod. It's a long one. Buckle up. Hey, Rod, this is quite an interesting post and one that I wanted to sit on before responding. You said a number of things that I wholeheartedly agree with and a handful of things that I do not. Let me first clarify by saying that musically, philosophically, and practically, I am an individualist. I believe in the army of you, your innate, natural abilities, whether cognitive, artistic, emotional, etc. There is no other like you, and any attempt to recreate the entity that is you, Rod, would be an utter failure. Now, I say all that because I'm reading a tremendous amount of names listed in your post. 16 drummers you've named, if I'm not mistaken. That's a whole lot of talking about people who are not you. And that's not to say that you cannot or should not have influences. Each drummer you mentioned has given great gifts to the drumming community, and I'm certain that we share a gratitude and a respect for their works. We all stand on their shoulders, and there is no way around that. However, it seems to me that you're seeking to find which of their jackets might best fit you. And the answer to that, my friend, is that each one of their jackets fits you like total shit. The catch is they all had custom-made jackets. Individuals like the 16 drummers that you've mentioned were those whose voices stood out. What they said had meaning, purpose, intent, and a hefty dose of individuality. 
If it didn't have the latter, individuality, you would call them a phony and likely exclude them from your list of greats. Whether or not we realize it, we tend to dislike those who do not behave as individuals, and we all gravitate towards those who are more individualistic. If there's a single common thread between each musician that you named, it's that they were all uniquely individualized in their play style. And this isn't the hardest point to land because it applies to everyone. But my point being, they were hopelessly themselves. They were not collective lists of those who influenced them. At a certain point in time, they began to speak as individuals through their instrument. That very speech, the individualized human expression, is precisely what you love and remember about them. And I really like your MMA analogy. I do think it's a valid point here. Some people choose to be the specialist and focus in on a very specific skill set, which makes them a formidable, hyper-individualized opponent. You can do this on the drums. It's the same thing. And others choose to be a jack-of-all-trades and balance their skill sets as to become formidable to a wider range of opponents. Same thing. You can do this on the drums as well. MMA and music aren't very different here in that there is no one correct path to choose. Killers across the board have made varying decisions at these very crossroads and superstars emerge from each end of the path. Sure, it's a particular customization of the jacket, but it doesn't seem to matter which way you go. It's mere preference like a color or a fabric. For me, this type of thinking led me down the path of truly just playing what I want to play. And I know that sounds oversimplified, but it is actually that simple for me. Now that doesn't mean that I disregard my influences or pretend that I don't have any influences. I do play some things because I saw somebody else play them and that influenced me. But this does mean that I actively reject the guardrails or the metaphorical boxes that musicians will often place themselves within. Choosing a genre, for example, is one of those early boxes that drummers can place themselves in, a needless distinction that many of us grow out of with time. This would be something along the lines of saying, I have to choose if I'm going to be a rock drummer or a jazz drummer. And again, it's a distinction that you hopefully grow out of. For example, a young MMA fighter may feel that they need to decide whether or not they're going to be a kickboxer a wrestler, or a Brazilian jiu-jitsu master. The reality is, you don't know until you get in the gym. You don't yet have the authority to make such a claim before the work has been done. Your strengths and your weaknesses will emerge in training, not before, and as you begin to put in the work, your style takes shape. It will, it will inevitably be a style that you could not have described with any level of accuracy before going through the process itself. So the guy standing in the parking lot of the gym doesn't get to tell you what kind of fighter or what kind of athlete he is. He does not know yet, and he can't make that claim. He is styleless for the time being. However, if he does make such a claim as to know his own style, this comes with the implication that he can simply determine, decide, or even construct his own style before he has truly crafted it. I don't find this to ever be the case in reality. For me, it's as though your musical identity can only be formed in the trenches. The practice of practicing is where the answer to your question can be found. Don't get me wrong. There is malleability on the top end of this. You do get to shape your style to some degree, and you do have the ability to follow whichever musical paths you choose, just like the fighter can be inclined or drawn to a specific style. Much of this malleable portion of your musical identity will be determined by the drummers who influence you, just like the young fighter who looks up to legends of the sport. But ultimately, it is my belief that you are 
uncovering your own style, which is innate. To some degree, it's natural. There's something already built in, and you are uncovering that. You're discovering something within you that already exists. Any attempts to determine that style by means of other drummers, metaphorical boxes, genre, or even historical references will result in a relative failure. You aren't acquiring your style from others. You aren't building your style from mere components that you gather from the world. You aren't decoding the secrets of the greats and then adopting them as your own. You may speak their language, but your voice will never be theirs. And the best part is, their voices will never be yours. If they spent their entire career seeking to mimic you, adopt your mannerisms, or otherwise assume the musical identity that is Rod, all 16 of them would fail miserably. How cool is that? You are you, and that's that. Finding you, however, is usually on the other side of a bunch of really difficult shit. And it's only when you decide to swim in that difficult shit that you start to get a decent view of the picture that is your musical identity. This website that you've paid for is in fact one large pile of difficult shit under the domain of drumming. I hope that swimming through it will better serve to answer this question of your musical identity. An answer that I anticipate will be painfully, mystically, and beautifully individualized. Any answer that is not those things is improperly formed, likely unearned, or merely incorrect. This is the best answer I've come up with in my measly three decades, and uh, I hope it wasn't too abstract for you, Rod. I appreciate it, brother. And we're going to go out on that. No words. Boom. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys for listening. Much appreciated. We will catch you next week. Bye. Bye.